Psalm 73, verse 1. This is God's word. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. This is God's word. I was chatting to someone just this week uh, who grew up in a very different part of the world to Australia, a part of the world that most people would say is um, extremely less developed, deprived, uh, a lot of extreme poverty in this area. And we were talking about... Uh, as it seems every conversation tends to lean its way towards COVID. We were talking about the current climate and uh, just about how um, a lot of the complaints that he was hearing from Australians were things that would actually be praised in his own country. Like uh, early on, you may have heard this or you may have said this yourself in our lockdown, Um, saying things like, uh, you know, I can't believe we can only go out for an hour of exercise a day and my online shopping has taken two days to come to me. And someone in his environment would be saying, you mean we can go out for an hour outside without fear of being mugged or killed and like exercise and play with friends and we have access to food and resources? That is incredible. And it's amazing the shift in perspective uh, from one context to another. And we often need a, a shift in perspective, right? We need a shift in perspective that brings us out of bitterness and frustration and into 
gratitude and contentment. And in Psalm 73, in this Psalm, we see a shift in perspective from someone who, as you were reading this out, the first uh, 13 to 14 verses are really just him expressing his frustration with the wicked of the world and why they prosper. Why are they in ease and in vain? I've kept my heart pure. And then there's this shift in perspective about halfway through where he comes to realize what is actually most important for him, which is his proximity to God, that God is actually near. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. There's a shift in perspective that we'll see. And there's a shift in perspective that we need. Uh, We need to come to this place where we are so heavenly minded, so preoccupied with thoughts of God that bitterness and frustration fade away. We see this uh, starting from verse 2 in Psalm 73. The psalmist confesses that he almost stumbled, almost fell beyond help. Uh, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. And then in verse 3 and 5, he explains how he fell. So he says, I almost fell, I stumbled. Uh, Well, what was it that he fell in? Well, verse three and five, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse five goes on to say, they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. This is what made the psalmist fall. Looking on at the lives of others, how often do we do that and becoming bitter and frustrated with envy and complaint. Uh, How often do we look at others, look at other people's situations with this kind of the grass is greener on the other side and complain and become bitter? I remember uh, thinking that when we were in South Australia and uh, the borders were shut and I was kind of middle ground. I'm not sure I I agree or disagree. I can see both sides. But then certainly when we were in ACT and we were on the other side and they shut their borders, we were trying to get in. I felt like a a lot of bitterness within me. Why, Marshall, why are you shutting the borders on us? It may be for you that um, you may not a lot of the time look at the lives of others and grow bitter and uh, frustrated, but you may actually be someone who might resemble the earthly-minded people that the psalmist is talking about, those who build their life off of ease and comfort, who never seem to have any trouble. And uh, you may not be someone who looks to, to, to others' lives, but you may actually be someone who is so earthly-minded that you might resemble someone like the psalmist is thinking of in this passage, like when you only ever feel satisfied when you have materialistic comforts a nice house, a good life, well-paying job, and that's your sense of satisfaction. And the danger for all of us, if we have this earthly-minded perspective, is that we either envy people or we're frustrated with other circumstances, with our circumstances. Uh, We're frustrated by the wicked and it drives us to, to bitterness, or we resemble these people in the psalm who are seem to be always at ease, 
never having any issues in their life because we've built a life of self-comfort. And this is what makes us stumble and causes our feet to slip. I wonder if you can relate to this, this idea of needing a shift in perspective, this idea of looking to other people, kind of this mentality that always says, well, if only I had this, or, or when this happens, then I'll be okay. We're always looking uh, based off what we see in the world for something to happen to us, to change our circumstances, to actually find satisfaction. But it's not really a change in circumstances. It's more of a change in perspective that we need. We need a shift in perspective. The follower of Jesus must be in a constant or in constant patterns of reorientation. We have to be in constant patterns of reorientation in our lives so that we are reoriented to a heavenly mindset, to a God perspective, reoriented away from a society that says uh, that what is important is here and now and your life should be about flourishing and building a, a life of comfort. Um, bigger is better, more is better. We need to be reoriented away from that to satisfaction in Christ, reoriented by patterns of reorientation to a heavenly perspective. The only way that we will be of any earthly good as followers of Jesus, partaking in the mission of God, the only way that we will be of any earthly good is if we are so heavenly minded that we are free from this earthly perspective that becomes bitter and frustrated and ends up having a life that really looks no different to anyone else in the world. The only way we'll be of any earthly good is if we are so heavenly minded that we are free from that type of earthly perspective. See, the worst thing that we could do is uh, buy into the lie that being heavenly minded is bad. It's out of touch with reality. It's sort of heavenly minded like you're constantly on clouds, you're, you're a wafty person. Um, there may be people like that, but it's not because they're heavenly minded, it's because they're simply out of touch with reality. Heavenly minded, based on God's perspective, is going to be focused on this world because God loves the world, He cares for the world. We must be heavenly minded, we have to have a heavenly perspective. C.S. Lewis, the famous author, was uh, he passionately defended this the need for Christians to always be looking toward eternity. And he says this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. That was, I feel like that was a kick to the guts for us. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. And that's largely what has happened with the modern church. We're very here and now. We've been influenced by this sort of secular narrative of, of the here and now. And 
we're ineffective and the only way that we can feel effective is if we borrow ideas from the sort of secular world which is about yourself sort of borrow these ideas that say that you you should live your best life now and you can flourish and like be part of a community but you will get a great job you'll be healthy these sorts of things and jesus can make it happen no one says it explicitly like that but that's sort of the underlying idea because We've been so earthly minded. We've, as Lewis says, we've become ineffective because we're simply not focusing upon eternity. See, our entire purpose in this life for the follower of Jesus, our entire purpose is to be shaped more and more into the image of Christ as we worship and serve our God as preparation for eternity. That is what we will be doing for all eternity. If it feels weird to worship God, it's going to feel very awkward in heaven because that is what we will be doing, worshiping the Lord, just an eternity in the immediate presence of our God where there's no more sorrow, no more pain, just this awesome sense of God's presence because we're near to Him. And so we, in this little measly life, how can you even compare 80 years to eternity? We will be, this life is preparation for eternity, for worshiping our Lord. So that's our goal. So we have our eyes set upon the goal of eternity as we live in this world. That's why, as Paul says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, whereas what is unseen is eternal. So we don't lose heart. We fix our eyes upon what is unseen. Imagine an Olympic athlete who should be training for years and years and years, And they're finally at the Olympics and they're just before their event and they're going through pre-event interviews and the person is saying, hey, what's your your plan? Tell me about your strategy and your goal for this. And the athlete says, you know, I haven't really thought about it. I don't want to get bogged down in wafty thoughts of the future. I've just been doing my thing and training. Olympic athletes spend years and years training and as part of that training, they visualize, they strategize, they think about their goal so that in the event, they're almost going on autopilot. Now, for us, there's a reason why the Bible uses the example of being soldiers or athletes so often. Paul gives that to Timothy, be a good soldier of Christ, fight the good fight. We are supposed to be soldiers, athletes. We're supposed to run this race with endurance. So we need our goal. And the goal of the Christian life is our intimate union with our Father through His Son, by His Spirit. That's the goal of our life, is this union we have with our Father where we are in His presence. That's the goal. That's what we will be doing. And what we have now, the union we have now, is a foretaste of that. We have God with us by His Spirit. It is a foretaste of that. So obviously, if that's our goal, we must look to that goal. We must look to that goal of our union with Christ, our heavenly union. In order to live out our purpose, we have to be so heavenly minded that we are free from earthly concerns, which which simply distract us from our purpose. These things in this earth, a lot of times are neither neither good nor bad, but they just become distractions because we become fixated with them. And so we need a heavenly perspective. If we come back to this psalm now, if you look back to Psalm 73, right in the middle there, 
in this psalm, there is a hinge point. The first, um, really up to verse 15, uh, it's mostly the psalmist expressing his frustration with the wicked. And then from verse 16 to 17, there is this shift in perspective. And look at what it says. From verse 16, the psalmist says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. So he's saying, when I thought to understand why do the wicked prosper? Why have in vain I kept my heart pure? How do I understand this? Why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? How do you understand this? And he says, like, it was a wearisome task. But verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. The sanctuary is the holy place, the place of God's presence, right? So all seemed hopeless until I entered the holy place, until I shifted my perspective in the sanctuary of God, in his presence, to look rightly through the lens of God's eternal plan. And once the psalmist shifts his perspective to look heavenly, once he has this shift in perspective, all of a sudden, not only does he realize that the lives of wicked um, are not actually prosperous, or they may be for a few years here and now, but their end is destruction, an eternity of torment, not only does he realize, therefore, that it's futile to look at them as though the grass is greener on the other side, but most importantly, what he realizes is that the only thing necessary for him right now is his proximity to God, that God is near to him. He enters into the sanctuary. And then as we read through verses 18 to 22, it's really him then in repentance Um, both realizing that the wicked are on a slippery place, but then also saying, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. So he's repentant. He's realizing that it was pointless, him sharing all of these frustrations. And then the one thing that is important, verse 23, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. I am with you. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. That is what is important to him. That's what makes everything else fade away. And so the purpose for us now, uh, and as we uh, begin this year, the purpose for us is to reorient our minds toward the majesty of Christ, to constantly do this so that everything else grows strangely dim. So that all of these frustrations, I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful to be free from not only bitterness, but also just general anxieties about the state of the world? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have such a trust in the sovereign God that is not ignorant to what's going on, but has a trust that all things will work out together for good. And what is most important for me now, like Psalm 27 says, one thing I desire, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's all I want, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to seek him in his temple, to gaze upon his beauty. That is what's important. My flesh and my heart may fail, the psalmist says from verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So even if my flesh and my heart fail, even if I succumb to illness, even if I succumb to disease, if I wither away, if I lose my livelihood, I fail 
and I fall into the unfailing love of God. That's where I fall. Even if my heart and my flesh may fail, God is a strength of my heart. So when I fail, I fall into the unfailing love of God. He will sustain me. He will uphold me. The only way we will be of any earthly good in this life is if we are so fixated by this, if we have such a heavenly perspective that we can say, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. With truthfulness, to be able to say that in our hearts and genuinely mean it to say, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth. There's nothing on earth I desire. I can take, like I can enjoy things like vacations and a house. But really, the one thing I desire is you. You, Lord, that's all. John Piper says, in a way, the only Piper can, uh, the only way we, we will be of any earthly good is if we are so heavenly minded that we are free from stuff. Stuff, like things, possessions, free from it, free from things like gardening, little things that are not bad. But they occupy, they give, we give so much of our attention to them. Phones, these things that we just are devoted to. And if we were to compare how much time we spend, we give our attention to them as opposed to how much attention we give to the Lord. It would be shameful. We, we must be so heavenly minded that we're free from that. We can take or leave it. Heavenly mindedness directs our desires to the only one who can satisfy them. That's, what, that's the key to this, right? Heavenly mindedness, this shift in perspective. When we go into the sanctuary of God, the reason it is wonderfully comforting for us and the reason we can be free from all of those other things is because when we are heavenly minded, we are turning to the one who satisfies the desires of every living thing. The one who opens his hand and satisfies the desires of every living thing. We have satisfaction. We're not a half empty cup trying to be full. We're full. Our cup overflows even. That's the key to this. When we have a heavenly perspective that sees this God who is all satisfying, when our desires, because desires are good, when they are directed toward him, and we see his loving kindness, which is better than life, then we are content and we are able to engage with this world around us without bitterness and frustration and with a life that looks different to others in the world. The reason why it's so difficult for the church now is because many of, of us in the church have lives that just look the same as everyone else in the world. We might, you know, kind of worship this idea of Jesus on the weekends. Other people worship this idea of recreation and brunch and that sort of stuff. But really, our lives Monday to Friday, the rest of the time kind of look generally the same until we have this shift in our perspective, until we can say in a little bit of a weird way to other people, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. To have that kind of satisfaction that looks different to other people. And just as the turning point for the psalmist was entering into the sanctuary, so it is with us. That's the turning point for us, entering into this place of God's presence. And we know that God's presence is always with us. Jesus says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. But there are intentional things we do to realize that. 
though his presence is with us, there are intentional things we can do to realize that. Just like the psalmist enters into the sanctuary and has his perspective shift, we need to enter in in intentional ways to God's presence in order to be in these patterns of reorientation. So just as I finish, individually and collectively, individually, how do we uh, enter into the sanctuary? How do we enter into the holy place? We need to be in habits which cause us to enter in to the sanctuary every day. So have habits, have uh, set aside time. This is like an application that could be for almost every sermon, but hopefully you can see what's undergirding it here, entering into the sanctuary. Habits of daily Bible reading and prayer, even to start with, if it is like five minutes in the morning, but have that as a sacred time where there's nothing else, no other distraction, and that is the place where you enter in to the presence, where your perspective shifts. Make it happen. And the flip side of that is to destroy habits which inhibit you from entering into the presence. Destroy things which do that. Like if you, I think, a morning is a really good time, even if you're not a morning person, to spend time with the Lord because you've got a whole day ahead of you and it's best to start it with a posture of prayerfulness, even if it is only a few minutes. And so if you're someone who uh, struggles in the morning, particularly when you stay up late and you're staying up late because you're watching some series or something, don't watch the series in the night, like cut it out of your life. You, you'll be totally fine. You'll be totally fine. Whatever it is that keeps you up, that makes it harder in the morning, get, get rid of it. Destroy those habits. Um, I just yesterday bought a, an alarm clock and I went into Good Guys and I asked for the dumbest smart clock they have because I wanted a clock that did nothing um, but set an alarm, but I didn't want one of those uh, disgusting, annoying sounds like the, the beep that just gives me a headache in the morning. I don't, I don't want that. I wanted it to play a lovely song, like a, a um, hymn that I would like. So I was hoping that I could get one that I could sort of program it to play a song. And that was all I wanted. I didn't even want it to, I don't even care if it tells me the time or not. I just want it to wake me up at that time. Uh, very hard to come by. Uh, so I got apparently the dumbest smart clock But the reason I wanted that is because I don't want my phone near me and my phone is my alarm because it can play a song. And I, for a long time, have been trying to find an alarm like this so that I could have my phone uh, away from me and not touch it until after I have breakfast. Because I find that uh, when I look at my phone, even if it's just me, like I wake up in bed and it helps me wake up if I look at the weather and just like look at something for a minute. but I don't like the idea of having the phone near me and the temptation to see a message go off or the temptation to look up something. I find that doesn't start my day well. So I want to start my day with nothing other than the Word of God uh, away from distractions. And so uh, this is not me trying to um, have a spiritual power play on you. It's just a very simple way that I've found I'm, I'm far too, it's actually me, confessing my weakness. I'm far too driven to looking up news articles on my phone and they just fill me with anxiety. I don't want that. So I want to destroy those habits. So I don't want my phone anywhere near me. Whatever it is for you, destroy habits 
which inhibit you entering into the sanctuary every day. Just get rid of them. Collectively, this is why we gather, like this is what we're doing today, even just this small group of us. We are gathering as we enter into the sanctuary of God's people. We have to believe that God is present with his people in a particular way right now. Think of that right now. The God of heaven and earth, the God who created everything, is present among us in this gathering as the church, as his church, where two or more gather, which is to do with the authority of the church. God is present. We are entering into the sanctuary. So make regular practices of gathering as a community, not simply on a Sunday morning, but through the week. Make regular practices. We gather for prayer on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights so that we can enter into the sanctuary, so that we can have this shift of perspective. And so I would love for us as a community this year to be um, particularly going deeper in our time of prayer, to not try and go wider in starting all of these different things, but just very simply continuing to pray. I mean, what's fundamental to the church? It must be that we pray. That's how we are shaped as disciples. That's how we commune with our Father by His Spirit. We pray. We spend time collectively gathering. So those are the two applications, individually and collectively, how we shift our perspective.